When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. So happy you're tuning in to Dose of Leadership. I really do appreciate you listening to this show. Great conversation today. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. This was with an old, good Marine Corps friend of mine, Nathan Neblett. Nathan and I served together back in uh, the mid-90s, late-90s, as C-130 pilots together. But when I got out in 2001, the airline's Nathan stayed on, and he served 24 years, just recently retired as an officer in the United States Marine Corps. He uh, oversaw units comprising between two and 25,000 people across four military branches. He's been a liaison and advisor to foreign militaries in Asia, the Middle East, Europe. He's worked with military personnel from Central and South America. He served at a U.S. embassy. He's been a pilot, an instructor pilot, a test pilot, teacher. And of course, I know him as a husband and a father as well. He's uh, got a big brain on him, too. That's one thing I remember about Nate is uh, he had a Bachelor of Science in Aerospace Engineering from the Naval Academy, a Master of Science in Aviation Systems, an MA in Government and International Relations, an MBA uh, from some school in France where he graduated summa cum laude. And um, he's just a really smart guy, and he's uh, had a great leadership journey. And he's currently a CEO for an organization down in Dallas, just became a CEO for a civilian corporation. And uh, we connected, obviously, over leadership. And Nathan has written a fantastic book. I call it a great primer for all of us out there. That's the first part of a series. It's this first one. It's called What Leaders Are. It's book one of the Understanding Leadership series by him. And when I read it, it just resonated with me because it's, it's everything we've talked about here on the show. And obviously, Nathan takes his experiences just like I have um, on what worked for the Marine Corps and uh, what we can all as leaders, regardless of our background, can start applying it uh, to ourselves today. He talks about this concept, need to know, nice knows. You've heard me talk about that here on the show. And his book basically gets down to 10 uh, leadership need to knows, aspects, traits of leadership that we all need to do from presence, being articulate, being compassionate, service-minded, intelligent, enthusiastic, visionary, decisive, persistent, courageous. And it's a fascinating book, and I encourage all of you out there. His website is whatleadersare.com, and check it out. And in the meantime, enjoy the conversation that I have with Nate. This show is brought to you by my leadership course, Legacy Leader Blueprint. I just finished uh, my 16th organization that have gone through the course. And basically, it's 20 videos that teach you the basics of leadership, the fundamentals of leadership, teaches you uh, how to lead yourself, how to lead others, and transformational leadership topics, advanced leadership topics, all in helping you becoming that legacy leader that you were called to be. All of us are called to leadership. But it's 20 videos online, and uh, it's an opportunity for you to engage with me uh, in addition to the videos. 20 videos, four modules in between each module, an hour and a half with me coaching your team on these concepts. It's a great team building exercise and a great opportunity to plant the seeds 
to start changing your culture of leadership or creating this decentralized leadership culture, which I think is necessary to deal with the chaos that we're dealing with here today. So check it out, Legacy Leader Blueprint. Go to doseofleadership.com and click on the Legacy Leader Blueprint link and learn more about the course. And you can email me and uh, we can talk about signing up your team of five to 10 high performers through the course. All right, here's a great conversation with my friend Nathan Neblett here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Nathan, I'm so excited to finally have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thank you, Richard. And thanks for the invitation. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's, we connected, I think, maybe about a month ago. And I know we connected on LinkedIn, but uh, as the listeners know, um, we have a history together, right? We were in the Marine Corps. We're in the same squadron together. We flew together. We've traveled the world together and um, haven't seen each other. How long has it been, do you think? What has it been? Has oh, it been? Uh, is it math been? in public? It's been 20 years since I left the Raiders. And that was the last time you and I flew together. Yeah, I guess it was in 1998. And it's right at 20 years. Oh, my God. That just makes me feel old. I don't know if it makes you feel old or not. But. Well, well I'm, I tell you what, I'm going to take a different spin. How about we look at this as a 20-year reunion? I love and it. That puts, a, that puts it in a much more positive light. <laughs> I like it. That's the one thing I always liked about you, Nathan. You always saw the glasses half full. And I tend to think I like to, too. But you're right. Sometimes... Um, you're right. This is the beginning of something new, I think. I don't know. It feels that way. And it's a, re- it's a reunion. And, Absolutely. Um, so we can celebrate the times we had together <laughs> and then talk about what we're doing now and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So good times. And I think the, the thing that's certainly brought us back together and led to this conversation is our passion and our for this topic of leadership. I talked about on the show and everybody that listened to the show, the listeners know that um, I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps taught me about leadership. Now you, you are just retired after 24 years. I was in active duty for 10 years and that 10 years was so impactful uh, to any modicum of success I've had up to this point, both personally and professionally. You on the other hand took the Marine Corps career to a whole different level. Whereas I just made it to a company grade. You went all the way and uh, took command and now you're out and now you're a starting a new adventure as a CEO for a company down in Dallas, Texas. I guess where I'm going with that is how and what point did you realize how impactful or how important the Marine Corps experience was for you and in, in where you're at today? Uh, great question. I guess uh, referring back to your statement that you were in for 10 and I was in for 24, it, it clearly just took me longer to learn the lessons that you learned in 10 years. <laughs> Please, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, boy, you know, I didn't really understand the benefit of the leadership uh, environment we were in until I was a lieutenant colonel. Really? Uh, really. Uh, I always applied myself to the technical task at hand. I always worked very hard to be technically proficient, but I didn't really understand the impact as a team until I was a lieutenant colonel. And I, I wonder sometimes if it's just because in the Marine Corps, it's happening all the time at such a level that you it's just normal. Yeah, I would agree with that because I took so many things for granted. I'm, and I, th- I think, you know, getting thrust in the corporate arena after I lost my job at American and having to reinvent myself, I took for granted. I just assumed if you were a multi-million dollar organization that you understood the basic tenets of leadership, i.e. when I say basic tenets, that it wasn't about you. It's about taking care of your folks. It's about 
um, leaders eat last, all those things that were ingrained and we kind of took for granted, right? But to your point, the technical, you're right. And I can see that where even in the Marine Corps, when you're in the midst of it, there's so much emphasis on the technical and tactical expertise. In fact, we're even told that, right? Be technically and tactically proficient. And I even see that in the civilian side of the house. I think that's where we kind of, we put too much emphasis on the technical and tactical aspect of it, thinking if I check these boxes, um, I will automatically be a leader. The technical and tactical expertise is a given. You have to be good at something, right? I mean, you have to know how to fly the airplane. You have to know how to do those technical and tactical things to just kind of exist and, 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 and hold the position, right? Does that make sense? It, it absolutely does. As a matter of fact, I would say that's the closest parallel between any branch of the service and civilian employment. Yeah. Techni- technical proficiency at the job you have been asked to perform. Uh, the difference, I think, in the Marine Corps is we dedicate ourselves to that technical and tactical proficiency that you mentioned, and we assume the leadership and team uh, building role. You know, that, that's just there. Yeah. And then you come out and you see that people are technically and tactically quite proficient. But the other part isn't always there. Yeah. And it's not by malice or intentionality. I think it's just through lack of understanding and lack of knowledge and lacking of understanding how powerful those intangible aspects of leadership that we're skirting around here are. Right. I mean, I I know I did not realize how powerful they were again until I was separated from it and I saw where I came from. When I was in it, I just took it for granted. I just thought that's how the world worked. You know, I would agree with that last statement. We took it for granted. It was how the world worked for us, for you for 10 years, for me for 24. Um, I, I would, I'd have to be caution, uh, take some caution about saying that there's a lack of understanding. Hmm. Maybe it's a different understanding. Yeah. Maybe that's probably a better way to put it. Right. And, and as a matter of fact, in, in my book, I, I try to highlight the fact that everybody sees leadership differently. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think that's the thing that really stuck out to me when I started reading your book. And by the way, the book is called What Leaders Are. Um, and I knew this was going to be a great book uh, for the simple reason as, you know, in that very first part, I think it's, I mean, 10 pages into it. And you talk about, um, you know, that leadership looks different to different people. And I think that's, to me, if I'm, if I'm looking at myself, because I think a lot of times we don't see ourselves as leaders because we have these preconceived notions of what leadership is. And a lot of times uh, we don't see ourselves as those, i.e. the larger than life, six foot four square jawed John Wayne-esque figure, right? And I know I thought that, that that's what I needed to be when I first joined the, the Marine Corps. But as, as I went through and I saw so many great examples of leadership and some good and bad, but some of those great examples of leadership that I saw in the Marine Corps, they weren't necessarily those stereotypical type A um, kind of, you know, caricatures of, of what we think a Marine should be. They were kind of quirky, introverted, um, had unique personalities. And in your book, you talk about it. And I, I just highlighted right here. I highlighted this when you gave me this book that leadership isn't defined by what you think of yourself. It's defined by what others think of you and what you can accomplish together. And most importantly, what do we need to be right now today to become the leader that people need right now? And I think that's just so powerful, Nathan, because that means all of us 
our call to leadership, right? doesn't matter where we're at in our position. The, the, the situation we find ourselves in right now is the perfect curriculum to be the leader that we need to be today, right? I, would, I absolutely agree with that statement. Uh, everybody is in leadership development. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I recently tweeted that uh, one of the top scorers in the survey on leadership was mothers. Yeah, now, I can see that. Mother, motherhood happens to approximately half of the people on this planet. Now, if I say that, that you're talking about half the people on the planet are going to score in the top 10 on a leadership list. Yeah. Or, or in the top 10 of the leadership list are people drafted from half the planet. Uh, 3.5 billion people who are thrust into a leadership position by a natural phenomenon. Right. So, and, and now fathers also scored on the list. I'm sorry to say we scored a little lower. <laughs> Uh, clearly, we have some work to do, but that's another natural phenomenon. And so, boom, there you are. You're you're now on the list of, of leaders. Well, that to Just me. Just something happened to you. Yeah. And I think that's what's encouraging for all of us out there, that we're all going to be called to leadership, whether we like it or not. I do think leadership is an obligation to all of us for the exact reasons you just stated. And as you state in your book, that there's no perfect or nobody has a perfect recipe for leadership and no one can tell you that you're not a leader. You don't have leadership abilities. I'm a firm believer of that, Nathan, that I think that every, every single one of us to a certain degree of capacity has the leadership skills we need to be successful today for that leader who needs us today. Right. It doesn't mean that we're not constantly improving and trying to uh, become better and learn more and try different things and push, push ourselves into, into um, a growth zone. But I think that if you understand that you can be the leader that someone is needed right now and that no one can tell you that you're not a leader, that the leadership skills are there. They just need to be revealed. They need to be peeled back. It's not like you got to get a degree or a certificate or a certain pay scale or even a position or title. You have to reveal what's already inside of you. What do you think about when you hear that? I haven't thought of it that way as an inherent piece of each of us, but I can't argue with it either. But when you look at my book, it lists traits. And some of those traits are inherent in people that we meet. Yeah. They may be very strong in one, like intellect. Uh, other people are naturally enthusiastic. So there's probably a piece that's inside of you. In the survey, uh, a very high or a surprising percentage said that it's something you're born with. Yeah. And so you say, wow, that's uh, maybe not what I expected to see. Um, you know, that people still think that it's something you're born with. Uh, meanwhile, you and I, we know full well, having gone through the Marine Corps, that we learned it as we went. But uh, let's see if I can find that number for you. I believe it's 18. Uh, yeah, 18% say it's something that you're born with still. Yeah. And so uh, Theodore Roosevelt points out that there are people who seem to be born with it. But like courage is the example he used, but he had to learn it and through practice by putting himself in situations that he knew he might naturally be afraid. And he, he said, but with time, I, I found myself able to stand shoulder to shoulder with the person who is naturally courageous. So, yeah, there's some elements that are inherent inside of you. Uh, maybe they might need some encouragement, but I'm happy to report that every piece of it can be learned as well. Yeah. Well, that, 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 you're right. The encouragement piece, I think, is 
what I mean by revealing the layers, right? It doesn't mean that you can, sure. you, you can't necessarily do it yourself. You're right. You need to be in a certain environment. You need to surround yourself with people who are leaders, right? I've kind of, I've always said that if you want to become a better leader, it's kind of like if you want to become a better golfer, do you, do you go play with your drink? <laughs> do you go play with your drinking buddies if you want to be a better golfer? No, you go play golf with your drinking buddies if you want to have fun playing golf. But if you want to be a better golfer, go play with some real serious golfers, right? That's not yeah, fun. Sure. That's not comfortable. Sure. How's that saying go? It's hard to soar with eagles when you're surrounded by turkeys. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. yeah, I certainly agree with you 100%. And I can't overstate the value of a mentor, uh, especially if you have a mentor who has helping you to become a better leader. The, the other side of that coin is practice. And I think one of the advantages that all Marines have is you're constantly being thrown into situations where someone has to stand up and be the leader. Right. You know, sometimes that person is designated by a rank or billet, but sometimes, as you remember from officer candidate school, it's, hey, you four, go solve this problem. How much? Hey. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, one of you had to stand up and say, I have an idea, let's do it this way. And all of a sudden, you're leading the group. But you practice it so often that as we've already said, it becomes a natural wallpaper to any situation you're in. Yeah. And I'm curious what you think about this. I've said this many times on the show and I've certainly morphed into this or what became clear to me um, was how little impact. I guess I should be careful when I say this because, because charisma is an important piece, but it's not the most important piece. Right. I think the and I I I think early in my leadership journey how foolishly I spent so much time on charismatic aspects of leadership when to me they're not the they're they're one of the least important aspects of it. What I mean by that is I think a natural authentic charisma needs to come whoever you are, corks and all, need to be embraced. As long an authentic charisma needs to come forth of being you know that consistent leader, that courageous leader, that confident leader, right? The one that's always composed in stressful situations. Uh, I believe that helps. I think what we can talk about here is something I call in the book presence. Presence. Yeah. I choose not to use the word charisma Yeah, I, yeah. because it usually uh, I'll even quote from the book. It highlights someone's attractiveness yes. or the ability to inspire personal loyalty. So it really is almost like attractiveness, right? Um, whereas presence is more. Now, I, I can't discount charisma because uh, all my participants from France almost overwhelmingly named charismatic as the key trait of a leader. Yeah. Now, if you're working with French people or you're in France, that's really important to know, right? Uh, just think of people like Charles de Gaulle and Mitterrand and Jacques Chirac uh, Macron, they really want to see a show. So you have to be able to deliver if you're in that situation. But generally, I would agree with you that that personal attractiveness, they may, they may onboard, they may be curious about you because of that, but it's your presence, you're consistent, who you actually are, that's going to win the game for you. Yeah, I love that you um, differentiate between from that. And I love, I, I use the word presence too, because it, it is, it, it's a more weighty term. And I even remember 
when I got off the bus in Officer Candidate School in 1989 and, and that sergeant instructor's saying in my face, who do you think you are? Why do you think you can lead my Marines? You have no command presence. And I remember hearing that word and it was such a weighty, heavy word. And naively, the initial kind of concept that came to mind was that larger than life John Wayne figure. But I've come to realize, as you even point out in your book, that presence is a lot more than just those those kind of cotton candy surface level charismatic qualities that we tend to gravitate towards, right? And the presence piece, you know, that's the, you know, charisma to me is the icing on the cake where presence is the cake, right? The cake is, you can't have it. I mean, frosting is okay by itself, but it's the cake that you're after. And that's what, to me, command presence is. Does that make sense? It does. It's, I think what you're saying, it's the substance. Yeah, the substance. Not the surface. Uh, you don't judge a book by its cover. Charisma arguably is the cover of the book. Oh, it's pretty. I like the photograph. Um, the presence is the quality of the content, if you will. And, and don't forget, it's also the ability to consistently deliver. So yeah, uh, presence means you're going to show up and play the game. Charisma where it means you're wearing a nice, clean, pretty jersey to affiliate yourself with the team sometimes. Yeah. So I agree with you. So you said it, Lieutenant Colonel, you started kind of realizing this. I mean, what was it from getting the billet of Lieutenant Colonel, or maybe it was your first real command? Um, what, what was it that made you start to realize some of these points that you bring up in your book and some of the things that we've talked about here that, that, wow, maybe this is a little unique. I'm getting kind of a unique education here. Uh, well, uh, let me clear something up. I, I never took command. So uh, I led air crews and project teams and various other smaller, uh, more temporary units, but never had command of say a deployable unit. Right. Um, you may remember that when we would fly, we, we'd have a crew, and then tomorrow, you know, you'd land and say, see ya, and then tomorrow you'd come in and have a different crew. Right. It was more about everybody doing their job. And it, I didn't really feel it as a leadership because tomorrow it'd be somebody different. But in reality, every, hour, every day is a leadership opportunity, so certainly hadn't learned the lesson as a young aircraft commander. Right. Uh, it took me a while to realize the lesson that – I try to apply every day now as CEO. I'm really only there to set conditions for the success of everybody in the organization. So if I enable them to do their jobs, we will succeed. So it, it just took me a long time, whether it was as a pilot or a project manager uh, or now a CEO. The concept of servant leadership, I'm sure you've addressed that uh, in yeah. multiple interviews. I mean, it really is. If I can enable 50 people to do their jobs better, that incremental change times 50 is going to be infinitely more than what I can do as an individual. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it just took me a while to figure that out. Well, and I think I, th I think it's a natural progression for every leader. I don't think you can get to that point that we're talking about without experiencing, like you said, that kind of you know, it's from the basics when you get that positional authority. I mean, and, and it's exciting to have the positional authority. And in short order, you realize that your positional authority is only worth only so much, right? And and it's not a lot. And over time, you realize that, okay, well, then it's, 
it is about me and it's about my technical and tactical proficiency. And it feels good as a leader and people coming to you for answers and, and it feels good to feel wanted and needed. And you're like, this is what leadership is all about. And then you realize that, Hey, this isn't sustainable. You're only going to, you're going to peak at some point in there and you're either going to get burned out or you realize that the organization cannot grow any farther if it's all just weighing on me. And at some point you've got to start transforming your leadership organization throughout others and, and leaders training other leaders. And, and I just don't think you can get yeah. from there without going through all those steps. And and so that's, that's what we all feel, right? I know I went through all of those stages in, in the corporate arena primarily. Um, well, in the Marine Corps, you know, the Marine Corps kind of set me up in that stage of positional authority. And to your point, being an aircraft commander, what is it like to lead a crew of six people for this, three hours or seven days or 14 days or whatever. Right. And, uh, there were little no, I, leadership kind of experiments that had finite beginnings and endings. Right. And like I said, because we got to do so many experiments, we got to learn quickly and move forward. But yeah. the key, the key lesson is as soon, the first leader who realizes they can't do it on their own can start to be a leader. That's right. Because yeah. as long as you think you can do it by yourself, what are all those other people doing on the airplane? Um, and then you realize, well, I can't reach that switch or I can't do this and, and I don't have the training for that. Then you realize like, well, I need these other people. Right. I need 14 hands or in your case, 12 hands to get the job done. Uh, and when I had a lot of jobs that were about technical proficiency, you're really talking about my hands. Yeah. Right. Right. And when you finally realize two hands are not enough, you're finally starting to pull back the curtain on what leadership is. And now, if you choose to step forward and take that role, great. But if you really have to come to that realization first. It's not all about me. How much did you realize? Um, probably the biggest thing I realized when I went from the Marine Corps to the corporate side of the house was the inability of individuals and even the group and organization organization as a whole, the inability to make sound and timely decisions. I think that is the biggest, the biggest gap and therefore the biggest opportunity for anybody out there on an individual level and an organization is that they can get comfortable with making sound and timely decisions. I know that I came out of that 10 years, I was pretty comfortable at making decisions with partial information. That was probably the biggest takeaway, the biggest lesson that slapped me in the face that I realized I had an edge over other people that the Marine Corps gave me. What are your thoughts on that? No, uh, I mean, I, I put a whole chapter in the book about it. It's called decisiveness. Uh, and I use the example in the book when you're hanging out with your friends, what do you want to do tonight? Yeah. I don't know. What do you want to do? There are a few things more frustrating than hanging out with people who can't make decisions. And you yeah. want to get something to eat? Well, okay. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? And so decisiveness is key. I think one of the challenges to decisiveness, uh, number one, we're not really trained to make decisions. Agreed. We, we, make, we make them all the time, but we never actually think about how and how to make them better. Agreed. And 100%. then all, all decisions have consequences. And so if you've suffered negative consequences for a run of decisions, you might just stop making decisions. Right. You got a lot of negative feedback coming at you and you say, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else make the next one. I'm, I'm going I'm to sit over there. And, and it, it's easy. 
because consequent uh, or decisions have consequences. Some of them can be negative. And that's not always a good feeling. Right. And you've probably, you probably remember the term from the, from the Marine Corps, you know, leave your ego at the door. Yep. You know, you were coming in the room and you were going to tell them all about this awesome plan that you made and how you're going to make it all work out. And these people were just going to shoot it full of holes. Yep. They weren't trying to hurt you. They're trying to help your Marines. Yep. By pointing out things that you had forgotten. So, you know, and they're helping you make a better decision to avoid the big negative consequence by suffering the little ones up front. But again, that's all part of the decision-making process has to be broken down, understand the steps, become better at each one, and then become determined to be decisive and make those better decisions. Yeah. The ability to get comfortable with the fact that in, in the aviation side and even in the corporate, I used to say, it's not your right to challenge, it's your obligation, you know, and that was fresh for a lot of the people that, that, you know, as a leader in an organization that they're working for me and people said that like, no one's ever said that to me, but that's a tantamount to flying a multi-career airplane. Right. I mean, we were taught early on that it's yeah. your obligation to challenge, hopefully respectfully the decisions and the idea. Cause you know, I don't let me land with the gear up. Don't let me slam into the mountain. Right. Don't assume that I, I know what I'm doing here, you know, speak up. So the version I got was never let anyone else fly you into the ground. Right. You know, if you don't say something, it, you know, you're going to let someone else fly into the ground. So we absolutely agree with you hundred percent. And that's where the don't egos at the door comes into play. No egos in the cockpit, all that kind of stuff we heard. You bet. And that's not about my, it's not about my pride. Right. About doing the right thing. And then I think the other part of it too which is tied into decision-making is the accountability piece that comes with that. You know, you have to be willing to accept the accountability for that whole shooting match, whatever decisions are made. And this particularly when you're functional leaders, i.e. in the case of a multi-career aircraft, your navigator, your loadmaster, your flight engineer, they have varying degrees of their own functional leadership responsibility. If they fail in that, even though you had nothing to do with their technical or tactical failure, you're still accountable for that failure. That's something that I, a lot of people can't grasp. But again, it's a great opportunity. If you can, if you can embrace that, then you're really swimming in the leadership pool, in my opinion. No, that's a, a great point. It makes me think of uh, my time in Iraq where it was post Saddam Hussein and they still had the habit of not signing anything unless it was signed by a committee. Because you know, if it was one person's signature on the page and it wasn't a good policy, then one head would roll. Right. But if you could sign it in committee and if one of those committee members was distantly related to the dictator, then 12 heads would probably not roll. Right. And so there was always this kind of group mindset because the accountability and the cost of your head was on the line. So it was kind of like pointing to the person on your left and right spreading accountability as far and as thin as you could, but the, kind of the opposite of leadership. At, at the end of the day, how's the term go? The buck stops here. Right. And, uh, you know, if you succeed, it's because the team did great. If you fail, well, that's on me. Yeah. Let's take a look and, and what went wrong and fix it. It's powerful though. I mean, I think that if he, if you can, and it's not easy to do, but in the handful of times I've seen that 
both in the military and both in the, the civilian wor- world where that accountability is taken, people think bad things happen and you may for a moment lose some face, maybe lose your position, may lose some trust, something there, there, there's going to be some consequences, whatever. But in the long run, only good things come out of it from what I've seen. Like people are elevated. Thing trust is is improved. Um, empathy and humanity are displayed. Gr- opportunities for grace. All those type of things that are very powerful that we don't talk about in leadership, but I think are some of the intangibles that man really make up the leadership game that separates leaders from managers. If you can embrace all of what I just talked about there. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, take it one step further if you use it as a learning point, not to rub it in, but to make sure we do better next time, mm-hmm. then you can actually help people move up. Again, check your ego at the door, learn from your own mistakes and the mistakes of others. But what is that phrase we used to hear? Learn from the mistakes of others. You don't have enough time in your life to make them all yourself. Right. So it's okay. It's okay to talk about mistakes. It's okay to be accountable. Uh, it's, and it, you also know that tomorrow is another day. Yeah. So squeeze, squeeze all the juice you can out of this lesson. Learn the goods and the bads and ready, set, go try again. I mean, when, isn't that what we'd want our kids to do? Yeah, of course. Uh, wouldn't we want them to, if they struck out, wouldn't we want them to go back to the plate yeah. and not quit? But, so it's the same thing, whether we're the leader or we're raising leaders, you just got to think, I, I want you to get back on the horse. I want you to step back up to the plate, but let's take a look at what happens. And it's so that when you, when you go back to the plate, you're going to do better. Yeah. And it's those, it's those gritty, grimy, uncomfortable lessons, failures, setbacks, missteps. Those are the ones that actually shape your character. In my opinion, you know, it's, it's how you respond to those. Um, Those are the real leadership lessons. Those are the, the defining or the refining moments that, that we should embrace, right? I try to. Yeah, remember. almost. I certainly reveal your character when yeah. someone steps up to the, you know, to the challenge, or you know, is running running through the fire. You're going to know exactly what they're made of. So, absolutely reveals the character. Um, but I have to I have to refer back to what I said earlier about parents scoring so well on the leadership survey. Yeah, a natural phenomenon of life puts people into a leadership role. Yeah, And then that, that same parallel I drew, don't you want your kid to get back up? Yeah. Same thing for any other leader on the survey. Don't you want your team member to get back up? Don't you want your junior Marine to be okay? All the same things. They start when we can become parents. It's such a laboratory. And if we just remember that when we move forward to other positions of leadership, say in an office, you have the same responsibility. Yeah. You know, leaders eat last. Yeah. We did in the Marine Corps. Don't I want my kids to have a full, you know, I want them to get their nutrition first, but at the office, don't I want them to have what they need first? Yeah. Because again, that, that incremental improvement multiplied by 50 is going to be so much more than what I can do on my own. Yeah. So, uh, so many parallels, so many things that tie back into leadership that uh, were widely revealed in the survey. It was super exciting to read the results from all over the world and to see that some things never change. I love how you brought up the terms. I, I, you're 
I couldn't remember where I heard this and I, I, I knew it was the Marine Corps. And it was nice to see that you brought up this, the whole idea of need to know versus nice to knows. I said that time and time again when I worked in the hotel industry, when I was training my um, property managers through the course here. And I remember one of them was telling me, it's a six week training course and they were getting ready to go out and take charge of the hotel. And she was very nervous about going out there. She goes, I don't know all of this stuff. And I go, it's impossible to know all of it. And I asked her, I said, it's, it's not about needing to know everything, right? Or it's, it's not about it, all this stuff. A lot of this stuff is nice to know at this moment. What I want you to focus on are the need to know items. She goes, what do you mean? And I said, I said, can you, let's, th- let's think of 10 things that you absolutely need to know on day one when, you, when you're running that hotel by yourself. And I kind of equated it to boldface items that we learned. No matter what plane we fly, no matter how complex, there's the really the need to know stuff when everything kind of hits the fan is really less than 10 things, right? You can never come up more than 10. And that's what I love that you bring that back with this whole idea of these concepts of leadership. There's so much. It, we make it more difficult, I think. It can be difficult to define as you talk about here in the book. But talk about that with me about you know, what are the needs to knows versus the nice to knows? What do we need to know about leadership in your opinion? So my definition of need to know was something that if you tried to lead without it, people would notice. Yeah. In other words, you really do need to know. And they, I said, well, if there are needs to know, if there are true crystals at the center of all of this, you know, these crossing points, these nodes, what are they and how can I find out? So the first thing I did was a survey to, to find out what people think of it right now, today. Right now in 2000, well, I was actually 17, but what do people think about leadership and what do they admire most about the leaders that they admire? What's the trait? And then I went back through history, either leaders writing about themselves or people in a position to observe leaders writing about those leaders. And what I found were there were lists. There are so many lists in in history. Uh, You and I remember JJ did tie buckle. That is the acronym for the Marine, all Marines to remember the 14 traits of leadership, right? They're they're out there, all these, all these traits, all these lists. Uh, And so I, I pulled from as many countries as I could and as many, uh, periods of time as I could, including today. And there's just some things that just keep repeating. And those I call the need to know that no matter where you are in the world, no matter what period of time, if you get the Einstein Express and go back to ancient China, right? These, these same things are still there as, as leaders. People are either writing about them saying, this is what we observed in leaders, or if you want to be a good leader, you must do the following or be the following. And, and so crushing all that together, remember I had over 170 traits listed in the survey. Wow. And so some of them bubbled right to the top. And I looked at that list of today and took all these lists from history. And you just see there are some things that people keep writing about or keep mentioning or keep saying, I really liked that this leader did or was this. Could be humble, could be strong, could be courageous, could be brave, could be intelligent, versatile. There's so many. It's like, wow, you can never study that list. 
If you tried to be everything on everybody's list, you'd never make it. And even if you did, the next person that you met would have a different trait that they wanted to see in the leader. It varied by gender. It varied by age. It varied by country. I mean, it's, it's wild, the spectrum of things that people would like in a leader. Good news is there are a few key traits that showed up everywhere. And they are? Well, they're, each one's a chapter in the book. Right. There are 10. And so we've got, so we have already talked about presence. Okay. Yep. And we've, then I mentioned our being articulate. Yep. Uh, there's no doubt that if you, you can have, you can be a brilliant visionary, but if you can't share that vision with other people, who cares? You're a brilliant visionary, but you're not leading. You have to articulate it and share that vision. Yep. Agreed. I mentioned two back to back and that's compassion yep. and service minded. Yep. So compassion is how we learn the needs of others because sometimes if we can just help those people meet those needs, they can better focus on the task or better participate with the team. But you have to be able to, to listen. People call that emotional intelligence. They, they have so many empathetic, they have so many words for it. Uh, but when you, when you put them all together and mash them and what you get is compassion. And then service-minded, if you take that compassion, you act on it, you're literally going to be serving the needs of the people around you. Again, I look at CEO as my job is to set the conditions for the success of every individual in the organization. Well, that's just serve. You're serving. Okay. Then uh, intelligent was one. You had to be able to pick new things up quickly, convert it into a vision, and then you know make a decision. So intelligent, uh, visionary decisive and then persistent. I mean, if you're just going to show up on one day and not be there the next, you're hardly going to inspire people. Uh, enthusiastic. This was a big challenge for me, right? Be enthusiastic uh, and then courageous. Yeah. Focus, focused primarily on moral courage. We all think courage, oh, physical courage, Look at that. like in the movies, right? No, it's moral courage. Yeah. It's doing the right thing. Exactly. It's the courage that starts inside of you. That's right. And it makes you act when you might not act. And it makes you speak when you might not speak because you simply know it's the right thing to do. And sometimes that will result in those grand physical acts of courage. But very often it just means you're going to show up and do what you believe is right. Yeah. And what I love about that list, and again, it's every, it's a detailed chapter of each one of these in the book, but presence articulate being compassionate, service-minded, intelligent, enthusiastic, visionary, decisive, persistent, courageous. The thing I love about that list, and, you're, and I agree with you, those are need-to-knows. The great thing about all of that is that we all have the ability. You look at the, the power of choice and all that. You can choose to work on your presence, to be more articulate, to be more compassionate. You can choose to be more service-minded. You can always work on your intelligence piece, your enthusiasm. It's a choice, right? Even though you don't feel it, you can choose to be enthusiastic, to show up, to be persistent, to be decisive. It's all within your control. And that's a key point to me because that, when we talk about leadership is for everyone, you have the power. You focus on those 10 things from the here until the day that you assume room temperature. You're going to lead a pretty significant life and, and have an impact to those and to the, the society and the community around you. It, it's a, That's what I love about that list. 
And, and I don't know, well, I think that to me, that's how I see it. Well, thank you. I mean, it means a lot coming from you. I know you've, you've heard from a lot of leaders and uh, studied it extensively. So I appreciate uh, the, your comments. And it, the, the other way to look at the list, somebody asked me, he said, you know, I'm reading your book. It doesn't read like a story. Oh, it doesn't. Each one of these is actually a study. Just like you said, each one can be improved. And, and someone said, well, how do you, how do you use this as a, as a study or how would you teach this in a company? And I said, well, one option is use it kind of as a checklist. Like you're going to meet people that are, that have incredible presence. You mentioned John Wayne. Wow. You know, but then you got to look at the other things. Was he decisive, courageous, persistent? You know, you say, okay, check, check, check. Well, maybe we need to work on this one. And you focus. Everybody's going to come to the game bringing something. And if you identify, you've got these down pat, you're really strong in these areas and you use the rest of the book, like a checklist and say, here's how you can focus on the rest. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's a great, it, it sounds, or go ahead. I was just going to say it's a good, finish your thought first. What you said, it sounds like what? Well, I don't want it to be a checklist. No, it's, it's meant to be a place it's, to it's, start. It's a guide. And I think it's, it's a resource that you can go to and you can look. And like I said, I mean, if you, are interested in becoming a better leader. You, you want to learn more about leadership. I mean, it's a great uh, primer, if you would, to leadership. I think the book that to me, that's what this book is this. And you said it's book one of your understanding leadership series. This is about, you know, what do leaders look like? What are they, you know, understanding leadership. I think this book is a great primer and it should, it could be a go-to should be a go-to for anybody who's interested in becoming a better leader. I, I don't know. This is how I see it. Well, well, thanks. It's, it's meant for any individual to use. To, it's got studies uh, at the back of each chapter. I sometimes feel like we pick up a book and we go, wow, that really motivated me. Then we set it down and we walk away. So this one, uh, at the end of each chapter, it's got a, a read this, watch this, do this list. Yeah. And so there's a way to focus on, you may be strong in some areas, but now you have an actionable way to focus on some areas you'd like to be stronger in. And I just didn't see the point of writing a book that was like, Oh, well that was pretty good. And then you set it down. I want people to be able to use it as a tool and share it with others and have those discussions. Well, it resonates deeply with me. I think it's a great book. Uh, I'm, I'm so proud of you that you, you wrote this. I'm excited to see what comes forth. What's next out, out of you. This is book one. The next one, what's the next one? What's the, the next, what's the, the follow on series? I know we're getting ahead of the game here, but well, what can we look forward uh, to in the future when, when you're talking about this series? I'll give it a look forward. To, and that's what leaders do because first, if we can focus on what we are, these are things you can actually take on for self-study, right? You can actually work on these things by yourself, reading, working, um, trying. But when you talk about what leaders do, converting principles into action, you know as well as I, that's where the rubber meets the road. Yep. So the next book is, okay, we've talked about what we are, and hopefully we've taken some time to build those qualities up. Well, now let's put them into action. And so it's the same concept. It's what did people today say were the most uh, inspirational acts of the leaders they observed. And then what do I find in history? And and we're going to boil that down. We're going to find the same type of list that's key. So if you you can 
work on developing these traits and then put them into action through these, you know, focusing on these types of action, you're going to be well on your way. Agreed. Great job, Nate. The book is called What Leaders Are. My good friend, Nathan, Neblet. check out the book. We'll have links to the book. How can people reach out to you, find out more about you and, and uh, possibly use you in their organization? Okay. There's the uh, website, whatleadersare.com. I tried to keep it real simple between us Marines, right? <laughs> right. Um, and there's also a Twitter feed at whatleadersare. And Amazon has the book, but there is a section on the website that you can write directly to me. And I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, really, this this book is the second, is actually the third piece in the dialogue. I asked the world a few questions. Hundreds of people responded. And now I'm returning that to the people. And I'm hoping the dialogue continues because, as you've pointed out, through hundreds of podcasts, this is absolutely worth talking about. Well, I think it's fantastic. I'm so excited that we've reconnected. I look forward to see what our connections, our relationship blossoms into and what we can do to continue to add value on the leadership front. I'm proud to call you a member of the Dosa Leadership Pride or Tribe. And um, I'm so excited for you and, and for having this conversation. I could talk for hours, but uh, I think we'll wrap it up for this time. And, uh, and thank you so much for coming on the show, Nate. And, and, and until next time, uh, let's do this again. Well, thanks a million for the invitation. And as you pointed out, it's been great to reconnect and I will look forward to our, uh, our next conversation or a chance to get together when you're flying through. All right, Nate. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Rich. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.